In today's episode of Trek in Time, we're going to be talking about sublimation. That's right. We're talking about Enterprise Season 3, Episode 20, The Forgotten. Welcome to Trek in Time. By now, all of you who have been checking us out regularly will know what we do. But for those who are just joining us, we're watching all of Star Trek in chronological order. We're also taking a look at what each episode landed in. In other words, what was the world like at the time of original broadcast? So right now we're talking about Enterprise, Season 3, Episode 20. Matt, we are so close to the end of Season 3, I can't really believe it. We were looking forward to this season. We were looking forward to the season so much, and then it suddenly blurred by. It's gone. And before we know it, we're going to be hip deep in season four, and that's the final season of this series. So, yay us! I can't believe we're actually going to get. Yeah, we're going to be getting to the next show very soon. Yeah, it's remarkable. And by very soon, I mean like half a year away. (laughs) Yeah, six months. Yeah, but (laughs) soon is relative. Yeah. So who are we? Well, I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer. I write some stuff for kids. I write some sci-fi for adults. And with me is my brother, Matt. Matt is the guru and inquisitor behind the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell, which takes a look at emerging tech and his impact on our lives. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. It's a good weekend. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to talking about this episode. It's effectively the third in what feels like a three-part long story it feels very miniseries like of yeah getting you know the show to a place where they've been in pursuit of the zindi's weapon they are looking for it they find it they have a battle in trying to reach it and then there's the licking the wounds and recovering as they limp away and then finally begin to build a bridge with the people responsible for the weapon and maybe an effort to more diplomatically shut down the conflict. It's all very closely tied. These three episodes are really one after the other in a way that feels more reminiscent of a show like Picard than it does the other seasons and other episodes of Enterprise or even a show like Voyager, which preceded this. And Voyager, while having an overarching storyline of can we get home for seven years, was still very episodic. And you could mm-hmm. practically shuffle episodes of Voyager out of order, and it wouldn't really have a bearing on it, because every episode, while still having that overriding theme, did feel a lot more like, oh, it's... You know, you can you can kind of watch them out of order at points. This feels a little bit, little bit more like seasons of Deep Space Nine to me, where episodes clearly yes. built yes. one into the next, and you had a longer vision and a longer story arc that felt like a more three act structure, as opposed to just an overriding theme. So that's what we're looking at. But before we get into this episode. We like to revisit comments on previous episodes. So Matt, what comments caught your eye? Well, there's a couple from Pale Ghost 69 regular commenter. Thank you, Pale Ghost. Yes, thank you. Uh, one thing he mentioned was, for the record, whenever I mentioned the specific platforms, YouTube would delete my comment. I have no context as to what that's about. Doesn't surprise me that YouTube is auto-deleting stuff because that happens all the time across my different channels where people will say, I don't know why my comment got deleted and I go and I try to track it down and it's... They put a link in there, and for some reason, that link got flagged for some reason. So I'm curious, Pale Ghost, what 
that's in reference to yeah as well as if anybody else is noticing their comments just vanishing let us know you can reach out um, for the contact the information of the podcast yeah. too. like to email us directly might be a better way for us to be able to path. get that feedback and then see if there's something on our end that we can do to keep youtube from doing that to you yep and then he also dropped a comment this was on episode 68 which we were talking about azadi prime the which is the episode two before this yes I think mm-hmm. yes two before this the conversation with doctor who should have happened a dozen episodes ago when they found the mining colony and learned more about the mammalian zindi i agree that Tapal's bit was a bit overblown but on my rewatch i took it as her disease and trillium use had messed up her more than what we see and she was using archer as a foundation to keep the mask up we've already seen cracks forming with her relationship with trip and the jealousy she experienced as well as a couple more instances I know there are more, but I can't remember them at the moment. I just wanted to bring that up because you and I have talked about that a couple times, like the episode that's still unreleased. It's about to come out for everybody. (laughs) We did talk about that just a little bit, but yes, it's, they were clearly laying the seeds and the groundwork for something with her, with there's clearly chinks in her armor that were being laid, but I don't think they were executing up well in a sense of was it truly planned or was it accidental? And if it was planned, it felt like they took a hard right turn without getting there a little more methodically because it was a little too subtle. And then suddenly they just dropped it at a high level with her emotional breakdown. Yeah. So I just, I just found it a little clunky the way they executed it, which is what's catching me off guard. Yeah. And I think that I'm speaking for both of us now, neither of us mind where they've landed with this and we'll talk about it in more detail in this episode because this episode also contains elements of the shifting sands beneath to paul as she's trying to figure out how to manage her new emotional state and it manifests in this episode in two ways that i really really liked one was a continuation of the conversations with the doctor saying please help the other way was a manifestation in just her interactions with another person in particular trip. Mm-hmm. So I think that yep. this episode is a great place for them to land. It's a great place for the show to be. It's a bl- great place for her character to be. I just don't know that I agreed with if there's 10 steps to her getting here. I think the first three yeah. were kind of either hidden or missing. Yes. And then by the time we see that these things are happening, we're already at step five. So I felt like it feels a little bit like, oh, this, there was stuff happening. Did they intend it? Were we aware of it? But now that we're here at step 10, I'm fully on board and saying like, yeah, this is good stuff. So we'll talk about that more as we talk about this episode. So as far as this episode, as I mentioned, this is the episode, the forgotten and you'll all recognize that noise in the background. Yes, that's the read alert, and that can only mean one thing. It's time for Matt to struggle in reading what is ostensibly a synopsis of the episode. Matt, take it away, and I'll give you a heads up. When it gets to the synopsis of this episode, don't look yes. too hard. Just just go with it? Just go with it. Just don't look too hard. Okay. All right. Here we go. The Forgotten is the 72nd episode of the American science fiction television series Star Trek Enterprise, the 20th episode of season three. It first aired on April 28th, 2004 on the UPN network in the United States. 
Set in the 22nd century, the series follows the adventures of the first Starfleet Starship Registration, NX-01. Season 3 of Enterprise features an ongoing story following an attack on Earth by previously unknown aliens called the Zindi, a group of five surviving races who each evolved on the same planet. The Enterprise enters the Delphic Expanse, seeking to stop the superweapon with which the Zindi intend to destroy Earth. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. So now you can see why I said don't look too hard for the synopsis of this episode, because there is no synopsis of this episode in that synopsis of this episode. It's a synopsis of the season. It's a synopsis of <laughs> television as a whole. It's a yep. synopsis of the year 2004, but it's not a synopsis of The Forgotten. So I'll provide my own version <laughs> of the synopsis of The Forgotten. Members of the crew wrestle with things that they've been holding back as they are trying to repair the ship and build a bridge with the people building the superweapon. So emotional repression. Yes. <laughs> As mentioned, this is season three. This is episode 20. And this episode was directed, and I was very happy to see his name appear on the screen, directed by LeVar Burton. This is his third of the season, his seventh overall. Up to this point, he had directed two episodes per season in the first two seasons. And this time, he got this third one as well. This episode was written by Chris Black and David Goodman. And this, I thought, was an interesting tidbit. This is the first time that these two solo writers would write an episode together. The writing of this episode was a collaboration between the two of them. And David Goodman had to say about that collaboration. I know that I'm not given credit for writing one of the best episodes of Star Trek ever. It was a real collaboration with Chris. We split up the script and we helped each other writing the script with him elevated the episode for me. That was one of the true one-on-one -on -one collaborations with a very gifted writer who is also very confident and understanding of what the rules were for writing Star Trek Enterprise. I thought that that was a very glowing and, and lovely spin on a pairing that up to this point hadn't really taken place. And for people who yep. might be working in television and are accustomed to working solo and having their own writing credit on an episode for you did then be put in a position of, no, you're going to co-write this. Egos could very easily get in the way. And it really sounds like Goodman mm -hmm. approached this with a, this guy really knows what he's doing and it's making for a better episode overall. And I think that shows in the episode. I think that this is a very, very well-written episode. Yeah, I agree. The original air date of this, as Matt mentioned, April 28th, 2004. Guest appearances included, once again, Degra, played by Randy Oglesby, Jannar, played by Rick Worthy. The Zindi Reptilian Captain was played by Bob Morrissey, who has played a number of different characters on Enterprise. Seth MacFarlane, surprisingly, makes an appearance as yeah. Ensign Rivers. At yes. this point, Ensign Rivers in this episode does not have a name, but the character will re be reprised in a later episode in which they do actually name the character at that point. And it was upon seeing Seth, Seth MacFarlane in this episode that I thought, "Whoa, guy can't act right now." Like this is <laughs> no. It was no. it was not a uh, an easy one line of him like, "But I did that." Like you can almost see everybody <laughs> on the crew like, "Get him off camera! Get him off camera! Get him off camera!" <laughs> and the character of Taylor, played by Kipley Brown in what would be a dream sequence, but a very emotionally impactful one. There's also an uncredited guest in this episode. It is the photograph at the end of the episode of Tripp's sister, 
which was a photograph of the actress who'd played her in previous episodes where they've had flashbacks to the Zindi attack and Tripp's imagining of what that would have been like in which he saw his sister being killed in the attack. The photograph at the end of the episode was taken on the Paramount lot. So either in anticipation of needing this or perhaps for something involved in casting of the show, for whatever reason, they had an actual photograph of her on hand for that. So I'd like to give her credit for actually being in the episode, even though it's only a a still image. So April 28th, 2004, what was the world like when this episode aired? Well, Matt, you were still dancing your little heart out to, yeah, each usher featuring little John and ludicrous at the box office. The number one movie of the week, man on fire, a terrific film earned $22 million. And this is a movie that is still available for streaming on prime or Tubi. Tubi being of course a free platform. So if you don't have any other means of getting to it, definitely check it out. It's a Denzel Washington tour de force and on television on April 28th, 2004, what were we watching? Well, once again, sadly, we were not watching enterprise enterprise continues to struggle in the ratings rating a 2.2. So it had about 3.3 million viewers total ahead of it were shows like WB Smallville, the NBC special of life's funniest moments, Matt, I know you remember that show as well as I do. Oh man. Oh yeah. Fox had that 70s show and American Idol, both doing very well. 60 Minutes 2 was investigating how Americans were spending billions to find a perfect mate. That was money well spent. And on ABC, my wife and kids. So I I still don't get why it hasn't recovered because it was hitting around 4 million an episode for quite a while. And then after that hiatus where it came back at three, it really hasn't come back from that. I think that this is a, I mentioned this briefly in our last episode. If you only have one show for a particular audience on your network yeah, yeah, and that audience only tunes in for that one program, you eventually are going to bleed out because that audience will over time forget about the show because they are not getting a reminder advertising because they're only showing up for that show. I know my experience with UPN at this point was specifically centered on enterprise. I didn't watch any other UPN network shows. So it's you, you are caught in a closed loop and you know, you, you end up with your audience. If you start with 10 and then one week, one of them drops out and now you've got nine and you're not bringing anybody new in and UPN as a network, it's days were numbered. Nobody recognized it. You know, clearly at the time there was a lot of effort and money going into it, but it wouldn't pan out. And I think the other thing that was at work was this is the beginning of the explosion of well done programming being done outside of the network experience. This is the beginning of the growth of networking being done by USA, TBS, TNT, sci-fi channel, all, you know, like the spreading out of the talent effectively. We are a few years away from a show like uh, Battlestar Galactica, really like kind of showing up almost out of nowhere and saying like, this is what sci-fi could be. And yeah, like exactly. when you think of the proximity of Battlestar Galactica to this, they're not that many years apart, but they feel a decade. Decades apart. They feel a decade <laughs> apart, but they're yeah. not. And that's what's, it's strange when you, when you stop and, and you consider that. So I think that that's what we're seeing in these numbers. I think that they just didn't have a sci-fi audience. I don't think that they had a strong enough Trek audience. I also feel like at this point, 
Star Trek is following literally 21 years worth of other Star Treks. So Enterprise is at the tail end of fatigue. And you and I have talked about when this show had its biggest numbers, it was very samey. They may have lost the audience before they did the reset of season three and just couldn't lure anybody back, even though the storytelling in season three is so much better than seasons one and two. So, yep. Yep. And in the news, lots of things going on around Iraq on this day, April 28th, 2004. Among the things that were happening, intense fighting was breaking out in Fallujah. Fallujah would, of course, dominate the news cycle as far as Iraq was concerned for many, many months after this. U.S. forces responded to attacks on their positions by insurgents. Artillery and AC-130 gunships were used to bombard guerrilla positions. But the number of casualties at this point was not yet known. That was reported by the BBC. And then there was this from CNN, USA Today, Gallup. According to a poll conducted by those three entities, 71% of Iraqis saw the U.S. troops in their country as occupiers, while 19% of them were 19% of Iraqis saw them as liberators. Although 61% say that ousting of Saddam Hussein was so worthy that it didn't matter what hardships they suffered. 57% would like to see the U.S. and British forces leave immediately. So here you have a situation where the argument on our side was entirely like, good news, everybody, we're showing up to free you. And on the other side, they're like, yeah, once you get rid of that guy, you can go. So not not a scenario where anybody was going to be able to get what they wanted. There was also this in the news. Cable TV giant Comcast abandoned its $66 billion bid to take over Disney, setting a lack of interest from the Disney board. Comcast in later years would go on to buy NBC. And I brought that up because what a different Disney owns everything. Now. What a different world we would live in <laughs> when you think about yeah. what Comcast has done with NBC and the critique that NBC continues to get as boy, has this network really drifted downward since it was purchased by Comcast. When you have a network run by people who don't know what a network is and making programming decisions when they're not accustomed to being involved in the programming decision-making world, NBC took a big step back. It lost a lot of ground. That it, it controlled things like the idea of must-see TV was invented by NBC. And in the years since, well, it's not quite been that. Imagine if Disney, Disney, who now owns everything, everything. had been purchased back then by Comcast. I think it would have looked <laughs> a little bit like what's going on with HBO right now. I think that it would have been a it, I, it would have destroyed the Disney brand. I think they would have. They would have I destroyed think it. What is happening with HBO right now, where HBO Warner Brothers is slowly being sliced up and parceled off, the shutting down of things like Cartoon Network is now going away, which means Adult Swim is going away, and the, the talent and the effort and energy that for decades has been going on at Warner Brothers is slowly being dismantled by the Discovery purchase. I think the same thing would have happened with Disney. I think they would have sliced up the company sold off discrete parts of it and we wouldn't see the behemoth that we have right now of disney sitting in the middle of not only disney but marvel and star wars the theme parks like everything would have would have been vastly different well it all comes down to like the the whole art versus business 
there's a tension in the entertainment industry where those two are always at battle with each other. Yeah. And it's where you fall in that spectrum. And Comcast falls so hard in the, we're 100% business, the bottom line, we want to milk every dollar we can, and the art is secondary. You can watch that on NBC. There's There's got to be a, 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 a area in the middle that you got to hit of, you got to give artists a chance to be artists and work on their art without stifling that creativity too much. Yeah. Uh, Comcast doesn't know how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> And neither does Discovery because yeah. they're doing the same thing to HBO right now. Yeah. So it's 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 sad. So I brought that up for the like the alternate reality thinking, but the stories yeah. around Iraq I brought up mainly for the juxtaposition of the calamity of a war in which everybody's goals were so clearly not in the same place that. Mm-hmm. The Iraqi people were not in the same place as the U.S. or the U.K. There, there, there was very little commonality of purpose, and I think that that's an interesting thing to keep in mind in the storytelling of this episode. Which, whether it's just because it's in the zeitgeist, whether it's like because these news stories were breaking at the time of broadcast, these were not news stories that were breaking at the time of production and writing of the episode. So I think it's very interesting that this episode is really rooted deeply in measuring what is your goal and how in line with the people around you is your goal. This episode has a number of different characters, both on the Zindi side and on the Starfleet side, going in different directions and really taking moments to kind of look at each other and reassess and they do a nice job with the parallelism in showing how what's happening on the Zindi side is it's a splintering. I've mentioned that before in previous mm-hmm. weeks that we're seeing a unified group splintering. And on the other side, we see the Starfleet people, even with disparate goals coming closer together because they are, they are building bridges between each other and with the Zindi, as opposed to allowing these differences and different goals to fracture them. So, all of that, well, on, on, I think, on is, on, po- is, is evident in this episode. I, f- I find it interesting that you're kind of a little surprised by how prescient it was, given that these, this news was breaking as these shows were airing, where it wasn't happening during pre-production, which would have happened months and months earlier. It doesn't surprise me too much, because when, all, when the wars were starting, it was very clear to see, oh, this is not going to go well. This is, this is, yeah. is going to go down a path. You can look at history and how stuff like this has played out in the past, and... I, you could totally see how that even a year earlier was sparking ideas for what they could explore in episodes and the timing of it is amazing how it kind of coincided, but it doesn't surprise me too much that the writers were able to kind of envision what <laughs> kind of commonalities there are in war and occupying territory and how the people would not see it the same way as the occupiers and how it all s- splinters out. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fascinating to me. Uh, it's great to see that the writers were putting on their, <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the uh, Johnny Carson? Yeah, the uh, Karnak <laughs> character. Karnak. Karnak, yeah. Putting on their little Karnak routine. Yeah. The the episode, like similar ones that, that we talked about last week, where there were a number of different storylines that were all kind of seamlessly woven together in that one. I feel like this one is another demonstration of that, where you end up yeah. with scenes that in isolation feel complete almost like a plot line is presented in one four minute sequence 
in others it is sprinkled throughout the episode but all of it feels of a unified whole even while feeling while you're watching it for the first 30 minutes of this i felt very comfortably meandering i felt a little bit like oh now we're over here now we're listening to these people now we're doing this the one thing that felt like they were clearly using it as a tension line to pull you forward was the exterior shots of the plasma leak yeah. on the outside of the ship getting bigger and bigger and bigger and yeah. so you end up with a f- literal physical representation of something tightly contained within the ship is breaking out and what's happening with the characters things that are tightly contained are breaking out so it's very yeah. on the nose but not so on the nose as to be a problem or eye rolling no it's not a, it's not it's, a problem it's yeah. like there's this through line of the ship is damaged to the point where there's a calamity brewing and nobody's aware of it yet but you have just to throw out the ones that are most evident we've already mentioned to paul is dealing with her shifting sands of i've got emotions now and i can't shut them down the way i'm accustomed to she literally goes to the dr flocks and says you gotta help me and he says there's nothing i can do you may be mm-hmm. in a terrain of having to figure this out. You did this to yourself over months. It, who knows if it will ever repair. So I'm here for you, but there's nothing I can do. Then you have Trip, who reveals at a certain point that he's 48 hours without sleep. He is tasked with a letter to a dead crewman, basically a letter to her family to talk about her. The captain says, you worked with her, you knew her, you should write a letter to her family. And this is just one task too many for the exhausted trip, who is clearly burying himself in work. And with the, it comes across as, you know, it sounds at first glance, like a little bit of ego. If I go to sleep, the ship will explode. Yeah, there's a lot of ego there. He feels like he's carrying the weight. But it's... He's clearly it's he's taken the reality and flipped it on its head when he says, if I go to sleep, the ship will explode. What he's actually saying is, if I'm not working, I will explode. So he is in a in a pressure point where the reality of what is happening, having people around him dying has brought back the morning of his sister that he's not done processing yet. He's been able to put it on a back burner. There's a lovely scene in which he has a very moving speech about, I convinced myself that she was just one of many victims and I forgot that she was my yeah, sister. You're talking about the conversation with T'Pol yeah, in the hallway? Yeah. My, Cause that was one of my favorite scenes in the entire Absolutely show. Absolutely my favorite scene in the entire episode. I thought that that scene was, was fantastic. And while all of this is happening, wrote... I just, just to get all the plot points okay. out real quick. Yeah. While yeah. all that's happening, Archer is meeting with Degra and finally has the, the ship after stealing in the last episode the warp coil from the aliens that they met just by happenstance they're able to get to the meeting with degra it turns out that the meeting is taking place at one of the spheres so they have a very nicely concealed little location to just kind of like hang out for a while and chat and there's mm-hmm. a lot of just mm-hmm. walking around and chatting in this episode, which I really liked after all the action of the previous episodes. And at this point, it seems clear. Degra is fully on like, I've been given enough proof. I get it. Oh, he's on board. He's like, you I can see that he's on board. I'm, I'm here with you. 
he is arguing with his counterpoint point played by Rick Worthy, who is as the sloth like version of the Zindi still in a place of like, what if we're being lied to? And it sounds the, the his dialogue sounds very much like to Paul's dialogue around time travel. Like, yeah, yeah he gets yeah. it. He knows that it's true, but what if they're lying? Because he's hesitant to, on the whim of having just met Archer, throwing away years worth of an alliance between all of these species. And it seems, without him putting too fine a point on it, that he's thinking in terms of, if we go back to what we were doing previously, the Zindi are just going to tear themselves apart. He's being very pragmatic because he, like he, there's even a reference to the um, who are the water based ones, the aquatics, how they're enigmatic. Yeah. And he's concerned. The reason he wants all this like diehard proof is because without it, the aquatics, who knows what they're going to do. And they need the aquatics to be able to hold enough of the council together. And so it's like you can tell he, he himself, you can tell believes. Yeah. But he's being super pragmatic. Of He doesn't want to see the Zindi council shatter because of this. And so that's why he's hammering home and trying to need to get all of that, that evidence. Yeah. And the conversations between Degra and Archer are high level conversations for the most part, like providing of proof, taking him and showing him I've got, you know, like I've got Cindy technology right here. This is what we brought from the past. This was the bioweapon that they were building. All of the little pieces that he's putting together, he's got reptilians in the morgue. It's the first time we're seeing the morgue. That was actually a set built for this episode. So he takes them to the morgue. I've got these reptilians. Like, where do you think I got them? And like, well, you could have gotten them from anywhere. But Degra is the one just like, yeah, I get it. This has been happening. This is all true. And what can we do to stop the weapon? What do we have to do? Well, all I, of that is happening. Can, can I, just bring I was just going to say real yeah. quick that that then runs full on into the through line of the pressure building within the ship. Yeah in the form of the explosion now takes place. And we see Degra's response to seeing the humans at work in trying to put this fire out literally. And I think the acting on his part is phenomenal because you can see he is carrying Degra is carrying so much guilt. This experience of, of learning from the humans the evidence that they're showing to say you've been spun a lot, you've been told a lie in order to destroy us. He is now taking all of that in and with it comes the resurfacing for him of the guilt of I killed millions of people on a planet who didn't deserve it. And the acting on his part, the guilt, the fact that when the writing around trip being as belligerent as he is to Degra's face and Degra doesn't get defensive. He doesn't say really anything in defense of himself. He's willing to, he's, it feels like Degra internally is thinking, I deserve every word. I deserve all of this. I'm going to carry this for the rest of my life. It's like Oppenheimer in developing the nuclear bomb, spent the rest of his life arguing for disarmament because he personally felt like I have introduced to the world a thing that cannot, we cannot put this genie back in the bottle. It's some really top notch acting and writing and directing, I think. Yeah, that, that was going to be the part I was going to try to bring up, which was one of my favorite parts of the, th- the through line was how Degro was being taken around the ship by the captain to see everything. It was like wherever the captain was, Degro was like his little puppy behind him. And Degro wasn't saying a lot, but you could see through the acting 
how much he was absorbing of what he was seeing the humans go through, the resilience, what they were trying to do, especially when he was watching them try to stop that plasma explosion that was happening yeah. on the ship. It was, you could see like, not only did he believe the captain in what the truth was, but you could see him starting to empathize with what they have put the humans through yeah. and how the humans were still inviting him on board the ship and showing him around. It's like, you could see that, that he had that tension and it was kind of like unlocking a lot of stuff. And there was a conversation between the two of them when they were, the captain was going to show him their, what they understood about the spheres. Yeah. There was this conversation where he said, I probably shouldn't have, you know, knocked you out and wiped your memory. Yeah. <laughs> and it probably wasn't good to build trust. And Dagger just kind of looked at him and went like, no, that was the, like the, the best thing he could have done. But it was, you could totally tell from that scene that Dagger understands yeah why they did what they did and he completely buys into all but it's in that same it's in that same conversation i really loved when Dagger was looking at the scans they had of the interior of the sphere and he's like mm -hmm. these are remarkable detailed scans for a military vessel and archer says we were a vessel exploration like this is not what we we're not here to fight anybody and having Degra have that moment of like, holy crap, well, maybe we can get you back there. Like the the culmination of all of that, of, of, you know, the bridge has been built. It's not super sturdy yet and it's not very wide. No, but it's One there. person at a time can get across it, but it's there. And that's that's some really great storytelling. Yeah. To go I back, to, yeah, I, you want to loop back to one of the earlier. I want to loop back to the t Council of T'Pol. Yeah. <laughs> the hallway conversation yeah <laughs> obviously it's there's undercurrent there because she's grappling with her own emotions and she's you know her the words she says to trip about the whole i envy you how you, you humans can deal with emotions like this because we feel it too but clearly saying to him i envy how you're able to kind of take this and roll with yeah. it without saying to him I'm breaking down. Yeah. Um, there's this undercurrent in it. And just by her putting her hand on his shoulder, yeah. what I found interesting about that conversation was if you fat, if you rewound to Paul two seasons earlier, she probably would have been saying similar things to trip, like just listening to him being a listener and then being a kind of a counterpoint to him, just kind of unloading. But the one difference now that she's been with him for so long and she's going through this emotional turmoil was just the small gesture of putting her hand on his shoulder and then that comment about, I envy yeah. how humans can handle this stuff was really the only difference, but it was so subtle and so nice and not over the top. It comes back to me for the, the writing, how you talked about these two writers. I love the writing and the dialogue in this episode. The performances were great. I keep saying it again and again, Jolene Blaylock is a better actress than <laughs> she gets credit for. Yeah. She's able to give some nice nuanced uh, performances to this Vulcan character and is bringing new things to what we've seen for a Vulcan on camera than we've ever seen before. Yeah. And so it was, it, I thought it was really, really good. That was probably my, my favorite scene in the entire episode. Absolutely. This was the best scene for me as well. And like, there was a moment for me where like a little emotional gasp from me when she put her hand on his shoulder. It's just such a small gesture but it does so much for what she's going through and what it means to him the way he responds to it too he puts his hands on her hand and he just kind of like they're hugging without hugging it doesn't move beyond a simple you know reassuring gesture but it is 
so much deeper than what would have taken place two years earlier where he might have vented about the thing and she might have said something but the connection again that bridge wasn't there yet and mm-hmm. and so it's it's on full display and the other aspect of this episode that takes it's like it feels like it's three steps removed from the focal points of the episode but the use of the plasma fire the the building mm-hmm. of the plasma fire from just a storytelling perspective it's like seeing a ticking time bomb in a handbag and knowing mm-hmm. oh now it's down to 10 minutes now it's down to five you just know this thing is going to blow and when it does the response being well we got to go on the outside of the ship we got to put this thing out and then it's from just a physical action perspective it's gripping like there's nothing about that sequence that feels even though we've seen them on the outside of the ship before we've seen them doing stuff like the episode where the mine had attached itself to the hull we've seen these characters doing similar things but it felt in this case like well we're doing what we have to to process the stuff that's bubbling underneath it was such a perfect metaphor what's going on in the episode in Archer's experience with having to deal with literally delegating mourning to other members of his staff. The episode includes a speech from Archer that is reminiscent of speeches we've seen like Kirk give to crew after the death of, of Spock or the, the moments where a passing of a character like Tasha Yar where we've seen the Mm -hmm. morning being part of the story. And in this, he refers to the 18, which is the 18 deaths since being attacked in the Azadi prime episode. And there's an aspect of that speech that suddenly it like hit me like, like the never forget September 11th patches that firefighters wear here in New York city. As soon as he said the 18, it suddenly occurred to me like these, these people are going to wear the 18 patches on their, on their uniforms. Like this is going to become a thing and it's going to become a through line for all of the people on that crew. And it's a very impactful speech, but the fact that he has to then delegate reaching out to families, to other members of his staff, simply because he's got too much on his plate. He's got, there's 18 people that need those kinds of communications to the family and he can't as captain do it alone. So he reaches out to trip to take care of one of them. And that being the one that punctures trips bubble that he's kept himself in Mm -hmm. the dream sequence I thought was, Oh, it's such a good scene too. Very nicely done. And there are so many times in this series or in other series where dream sequences are a little too on the nose or they're distracting or you just feel like okay i know it's a dream you'll just get past it this one handles it so perfectly by flat out saying very quickly into it trip saying like oh i'm a, he's I'm like oh, dreaming. this is a dream I'm dreaming and then just has a conversation with <laughs> yeah. a dead woman and it's a very yeah. nice moment of this this dead woman and it's clearly trips memories of this person speaking to him and saying talk about the fun that i had talk about the jokes that i played talk about the things that you said about me when you took me onto this position talk about 
how I did this, this, and this. So he has things to talk about, but he can't write the letter because to write the letter yep. would be to reawaken for himself the personal hurt. And the the way that that is managed in in that scene, like I found it very difficult in thinking about this to really kind of recognize what is your A story, what is your B, and what is your C. It's similar to the last episode. Everything feels of a whole. And when you have that yep. kind of blending of, it's not just about braiding storylines, it's literally like they're cohesively one that is like yep. that is top notch so i give this episode for me this all three of them working beautifully together as a as a trio almost like a long movie this is a beautiful piece of storytelling and i give it very high marks i give this episode an a plus yeah i, I i'm with you to take your how it all feels like a cohesive whole <laughs> i'm gonna bring up master chef because i've been watching master chef recently but it's like you know how they come up with a, a plate and then as they're being critiqued for their food, they're like, it's not doesn't feel cohesive. It's like this thing and this thing and this thing. They don't feel like one thought, one piece. Um, it's the same thing for this, where this all feels like a cohesive meal that they've given us, where it doesn't feel like I'm going through one plot through another. It's it you, you are just very comfortable just kind of weaving your way through all these different storylines because they all feel cut from the same cloth. Yeah. And because of that, it's everybody struggling with the emotional situation they're in. It doesn't matter that you're shifting from character to character to character because it's a very similar through line we're all uh, going through. I, I keep coming back to like, for me, it wasn't just the writing. It was also the acting. Like the one of the things about having Degra as this kind of like little puppy that's being taken around the ship yeah. and seeing everything and Degra is just taking it in and absorbing it like a sponge. One of the things like if this was like a soap opera that would have happened, like when, when Trip and the that one room starts to hammer on Degra about where, where Degra is offering like help and asks how things are going and Trip basically starts to go, oh, how are things yeah. going? And starts to come at Degra and really start to hammer him with these very sarcastic cutting remarks. In a soap opera, you would have had Degra going pleading for forgiveness or saying something and then it would have been like lots of turning away from the camera and conversations like yeah. that. Dagor basically says virtually nothing yeah. in that entire sequence. And it's pretty much all true. Just choose the inside just of his hammering cheek. on him. It's chewing yeah. him, chewing him. And Dagor is staying there just taking it. And so again, it's the actor just reacting yeah. to all of this undercurrent of hatred that's, that's coming that's at him Randy, and him realizing yeah. he can't say anything yeah, that's randy oglesby yeah. doing a great job as degra and i also think that like you mentioned that is not only randy oglesby doing that that's lavar burton like the two of them letting yep letting the character who is literally boiling over take the focal point and the two of them playing the part of like, how do we make sure that the entire room is seen, not just the boiling over pot, but how is the entire room but the, evident? But, but, but what was brilliant about having Degra basically saying nothing, it speaks volumes of him as a character yeah. to know there is nothing I can say right now that's going to help this man. Yeah. Nothing I can say. So I just need to let him say his piece and just let this happen because there's nothing I can do. And that speaks volume of volumes for his character. Uh, I just ate that scene up. And I also liked how the captain <laughs> came in and basically says, how are repairs coming trip? Yeah. Like, like you better basically the undercurrent of like, shut up. Dude. Yeah. 
and the staring, the stare down that he gives to Degra as he responds to the captain of just a for few more minutes. Yeah. <laughs> like in this long stare, and then he like exits the room. I thought that was um it was it was it was nice to show the relationship of how the two of them don't need to really say to each other. The undercurrents there, yeah. reading between the lines is there. There's also the it's chewing just, out that Trip gets from T'Pol which I found to yeah. be perfectly yeah. pitch perfect. Her emotions are right below the surface. She's very upset with yep. Trip for the way he's conducting himself and doesn't hold back and saying like, the captain is trying to do something, you idiot. She basically, uh, yeah. you idiot in parentheses, <laughs> but it's there. Like, like, why would you like, yeah. I, it's, it's like, she's saying, I understand your personal circumstances right now and how hard this is for you, but you can't let that derail what is attempting to be, a peaceful solution to this that you're not serving anybody by doing that and it's all of that is said in one simple line from her it's really 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 top-notch so what i would ask yep. of our viewers and our listeners was there one part of this like for me i put the cherry on top for me is the scene between to paul and trip where he breaks mm -hmm. down and she gives him the comfort that he needs in that moment but as a whole, it it's almost impossible to say that that scene is that much better from the rest of the episode. It's also mm -hmm. like we were talking about, it all feels like a cohesive whole, like there's not an A plot line. But I'm curious from our listeners and viewers, for you, was there something that stood out as particularly above the rest of it? Or was there a plot line that stood out as the most important of all of them? Let us know in the comments. Next time, we're going to be talking about E squared. And Matt, do you have any predictions about what that episode is going to be about? Trip gets a math lesson. Mm, mm. Finally, he learns about square roots. That's right. Before we sign off, Matt, is there anything you'd like to remind our listeners about what is coming up on your other channel? Yeah, keep uh, keep tuned to Undecided because I'm going to be releasing another video about my home build that's going on. I know there's a lot of people that are interested in that about building a sustainable home, net zero home. Got to tour the factory. There's a whole lot of stuff coming out, so stay tuned for that. As for me, please check out my website, seanferrell.com. You can find out information about my books. You can also just check with your local bookseller, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, local bookstores, public libraries, wherever it is you want to find your books, you can find my books there. I recently received a very lovely email from one of our listeners who checked out my books and shared a couple of my picture books with her class. She's an elementary school teacher and she shared them with the class. And then her class, one of my books is called the snurch. Her class drew their snurches and I got to see those pictures. So it was really lovely. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's so, so cool. I'd appreciate any interest in my work in that way. And as far as future work coming out next year, I will have a middle grade novel coming out. It's the first part of a multi-part story and it's called the sinister secrets of singe. So I hope people will check that out when it comes out. Don't forget, you can jump into the comments. Let us know what you think. Like I said before, is there an A plot for you or a A plus scene that you really think stands out in this episode? Or do you just want to share your thoughts with it as a whole? Jump into the comments. Let us know. You can find the contact information in the podcast description or on YouTube. You can just scroll down to the comment section below the video. And when you're doing all of that, don't forget to like and subscribe. You can also go to trekintime.show, click on the become a supporter button and become a direct supporter of the show. We greatly appreciate it. 
every coin hitting us in the noggin leaves a bruise, but it's a bruise that we love. And don't forget, when you support us that way, you also become a immediate subscriber to our spinoff show, Out of Time, which will appear magically in your feed through button pushing and lever pulling that only Matt understands because I not know. <laughs> and what do we talk about on out, of, out of Time? Out of Time is our spinoff show where we talk about not only things about Star Trek, but we talk about anything that catches our eye, which in recent episodes has included everything from Star Wars to Marvel to fantasy to horror. So please, if you are interested, become a supporter and then you can check that out. All of that really does help support the show. Thank you so much for listening or watching. And we'll talk to you next time.